Back in on Canuck Central. We're in the Kintec studio. Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. Join Cobb's Bread on March 2nd for Donation Day. $2 from every six-pack of hot cross buns sold is donated to a local charity in your community. Cobb's Bread bakes fresh in-house all day, every day, and when the doors close, all leftover baked goods are donated to local charities. The next morning, they start fresh. I'll back that up. A new Cobb's just opened by near me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll see me going out in my flip-flops and... And uh, a nice robe in the morning, keeping myself nice and warm during the winter months, and uh, grabbing myself a fresh loaf of bread in the morning. Just don't <laughs> catch reach on a windy day. <laughs> I wear shorts underneath, you know. So you're fine. Responsible. I keep it classy. Yeah, yeah. Not, you, don't, you don't have Fanatics gear on? <laughs> don't have Fanatics gear? No. We'll see through gear? Okay. <laughs> but nothing really beats a fresh, uh, fresh loaf of bread in the morning. It, it is very Like, good. I'll go in the morning, and it's still warm when I pick the bread up. See, it's, that, honestly, it's incredible. It's fantastic. I mean, fresh bread is fantastic. The thing is, when you live by yourself, yes, and like I have my partner come by a lot and yeah, we eat a yeah, lot yeah. and everything, but it's not like she's there every day all the yes. time. So, so it's like a loaf of bread Having is just too much loaf bread. Of bread is, it's yes. like too much bread for me. What am I doing with all this? Yeah, got to put it in a freezer. And my freezer is not that big. I can yes. only fit so much into a freezer. You're forced to eat it. Yeah. Like, well, now I've had six slices of bread today. <laughs> Keep dipping it in. <laughs> Like olive oil? Olive I'm oil Italian, you know. Yeah. I'm just well, like olive oil. a little bit of olive oil and balsamic vinegar. It's like, oh, this bread yeah. just made amazing. Exactly. Uh, all right. So shout out to Cobb's Bread. Um, go there March 2nd for Donation Day. Um, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Brian Burke. Berkey's going to join us here in a couple of minutes. We're going to talk to him about the PWHL. And, uh, of course, uh, a little bit about the Elias Pettersson negotiation as well but first want to hit a couple of texts here 650 650 on the dunbar lumber text message inbox i know we're going to hear a lot of this no matter what Pedersen signs for but this text came in giving Pedersen 12 by 8 would be detrimental to the team it would mean they're moving on from demko and hughes in a few years 96 mil is a lot for a 30 goal scorer that's one text on Elias Patterson. And I know that's a more negative text than some others are. Yeah, and, and I get it. Until Patterson plays in the playoffs and this team has some real playoff success, I think there will be some skepticism about any player getting paid a ton of money. Yes. And until he shows that, I think some people won't be convinced. Yeah. But as we outlined, players who are 25 years old and are going to have back-to-back 100-point seasons, most likely. Do not grow on trees. No. And players at that age and that caliber usually find ways to get even better, more impactful as two-way players. Even if the points aren't maybe quite as high, it's more like you become more better overall in terms of your two-way play and everything else you can do. You get into the postseason, you can dominate in different ways. And to me, Pedersen projects to be one of those players. This isn't a contract. um, And I know people look at it and they'll be like, oh, long-term deal and... We heard a lot of the same takes for JT Miller, and and that's worked out pretty well so far. But he's just in year one of his seven-year deal is is JT Miller. There's still a long way to go. With this Pedersen contract, you're not just paying for past performance, though. You know, when you sign a player in free agency, when the Canucks signed Louis Erickson, Mm -hmm. they were paying him for what he had done during the course of his career, and that's what his worth was when he made it to the free market. With Elias Pettersson, yes, he's coming off or will likely be coming off back-to-back 100-point seasons when this new contract kicks in, but being as young as he is and having so much of his prime still left, you're not just paying him for what he'd done, you're also paying him for what 
you are projecting him to still do yeah. during the course of his career. Mm-hmm. I think that's a stipulation you have to you have to realize when it comes to Elias Pettersson and signing a player this young to a long term deal. Yeah, and I know people wonder. Uh, people have been asking how how can you pay this guy so much more than JT Miller? And the answer is very very simple. If JT Miller was five years younger. Mm-hmm. And had put up 100 points before yeah. he was negotiating his contract, he'd be signing for the same amount of money Pedersen signing for. Yeah. Like that. It's just because of the age and when he was signing his big contract and what he had done prior to signing that extension. And it still ends up perhaps, I mean, not perhaps, right now, it's a value deal on the AAV and has been and will be perhaps for a few more years. And comparing to, to other contracts like McDavid and, and McKinnon, I, I get it. The number's not going to look that much shorter than those of the two best players, most impactful forwards in the league. But it's not about it's not about how much money you're making every year. It's about when your contract is up and when you're due for a new contract. When are you getting paid is more important to how much you are getting paid. And we see that in the NFL with quarterbacks. Why is there almost every year a new highest paid player in the NFL and highest paid quarterback in the NFL? Well, it's because guys become eligible for a new contract Mm -hmm. at different points, right? That's why Patrick Mahomes is no longer the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. It's Joe Burrow, and then it's Lamar Jackson, and then it's whoever. Like, it's always going to be changing because it doesn't matter when or how much you're getting paid. It matters when you're up for a new contract and what the value is at that point when you are in a salary cap world where the ceiling of the salary cap continues to increase. Um, All right. Continuing on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, do you have any you want to single out? Uh, a couple here I just wanted to get in. Uh, this one here says, that Carolina package is horrible. Thank God he is signing. My God. <laughs> and, and and listen, uh, we were spitballing. We said we don't know what the offer was, right? But we were kind of going off some of the rumors and what, are, what is our best guess? And, and the best guess would be something like Yasperi Kokiniemi, a first-round pick. Martin Nichas, who's a talented player, right? Yeah. He's an RFA uh, to get paid. We mentioned a first-round pick. Pro- couple of prospects don't know which ones consider at least one very good one perhaps two very good ones i think that's kind of in line perhaps even more and yes i would rather have Pedersen than make that deal yeah. myself and uh, clearly the canucks too because they didn't accept the deal and they, they got Pedersen back to the bargaining table i'm i'm confident saying nechas and kokanyemi were discussed i wouldn't say they were a part of any sort of official offer but they were part of the discussions that the teams may have had so do with that what you will. But this is what we talked about with Patterson. Almost no matter what, you're not getting enough value in the trade. Mm-hmm. What's the old saying? And yeah, you shouldn't live in a world of absolutes. The old saying is, if you give up the best player in a trade, you're probably losing that trade. Yeah. And I don't see a trade the Canucks could make where Elias Patterson isn't the best player in the trade. And any of these discussions with Carolina... Similar. Like, yeah, Netchess is a nice player. But you know what? Netchess would be a great player for the Canucks to add <laughs> to their current core to help them get over the hump. Yeah. But how much further back are you with Netchess now being one of the guys you're running with rather than Elias Pettersson being the guy that leads the charge? Of course. Right. And it, it doesn't keep you anywhere near where you're at now unless you're doing other things and you have space to go and get somebody who's a big name that becomes available in free agency or something. That's how you offset some of the cap savings on it. Mm-hmm. But... 
that's kind of where I would be on it as well. Uh, we'll take a, two, a couple more texts as the show goes along, and uh, we'll get into the pre-pregame show coming up after 5.30. We'll also join up with Sportsnet Pacific for the pregame after 6.30 today, uh, and it will be after the conclusion of the Boston Bruins and Vegas Golden Knights game. Boston is currently winning 3-1. to one. Let's bring in our next guest. He joins us via the Dispatch Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call, it's Brian Burke, Executive Director of the PWHLPA. What's happening, Berkey? How are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for making time. It's been, uh, man, I, I, you know, we're sort of wishing and hoping that a team is coming to Vancouver soon, but we've been watching from afar just how great the kickoff and the launch has been of the PWHL. Yeah, I think it's uh, only a matter of time before we get to Vancouver. Everyone knows my affinity for that market, but uh, I think it's going to have to wait a little bit of time to establish what we started out here and get that more on a firm footing. It's been a wonderful start so far, but we've still got some work to do. Well, and as far as the start and, and as far as the crowds that we're seeing for these games, is it meeting your expectations? Is it exceeding your expectations? Like, Where are you at in terms of the interest that has been shown to the game? Well, I saw some projections on what we might expect for attendance, and we're, we're blowing them out of the water. You know, the, the people that did all the research before we launched the league, it was before I got there too, by the way. I can't take any credit or blame for anything that happened before I got there. <laughs> I want to be clear on that too, because you guys know me pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're having a great start, and I, I didn't have anything to do with it. Like I just joined on in the summer, so I'm a latecomer, but I'm very enthusiastic about it. Uh, the projections that I saw... We we're tripling and quadrupling those, so I, I think it's safe to say it's been a great launch. We've got some issues. We've got some issues with buildings, and uh, we've got to sort some things out, but we're playing, and that's what I emphasize there when people say you don't have team names. Some of the buildings aren't full. We're playing. That's the most important thing. Well, it's just, it's felt like a long time coming for a women's hockey league, but in general for professional women's sports, I mean, it's just been, it's been blowing up. You see it with the, the WNBA and even, even the, the NWSL down, down south, you know, it's, this has been a long time coming, it's felt like. Well, women have never been asked to buy tickets to watch women play sports mm-hmm. other than the WNBA. The WNBA took, uh, was a failure for a long time. It cost a fortune. I hear they're break-even now, but they spent several hundred million dollars to try and build up that sport with very little success. So I think if you look at what's happened with soccer, not just in uh, North America, but in Europe, yeah, like Chelsea and, and Chelsea and Arsenal will play a game. Well, the stadium holds 40,000 people, but there'll be 15,000 people there. That's mm-hmm. all you need to make money. So the, the media rights are selling for crazy numbers, so... Everyone loves it. It's the first time women have been asked to buy tickets to watch women play sports. And so it's fantastic. People love the opportunity, and we're having a great start. It's fantastic. Well, well, Brian, you've been involved in a number of leagues. You've seen how leagues have gone up, they've gone down, try to figure out how to, how to start a league up and keep it going. What are some of the biggest challenges to get through a year like this, obviously, with the su- success you have, but continue building on it and, and ensure you have longevity? I think that's the $64 million question or $64,000 question. I guess some little inflation there. Um, that, that's the, the big issue is how do you sustain growth? Not First year is not that difficult. People are excited and everything, everyone's excited about first time ever. 
how do you build on that growth? And the answer is, I think the difference is, first off, there's one league. In the past, we've had multiple leagues trying to succeed, and that, that message gets watered down and lost in the noise. So number one, we've got one owner. Number two, we've literally got one owner because all six teams are owned by one owner, the Walter family. And they've got deep, deep pockets. They own Chelsea in the Premier League. They own uh, the Dodgers and Major League Baseball. They're, they've got deep pockets, and they're huge fans. And they've set aside enough money to, to this thing can lose money for a few years and still survive and thrive. That's two. So number one is ownership. Number two is one. Number one is one league. Number two is ownership. Number three is you've got um, a format that will work where there's properly staffed. There's a it's properly funded and properly staffed. So each team has an equipment manager, an athletic trainer, massage therapist, assistant coaches. These had half-assed efforts before, where there's no system to back them up behind it. And then lastly would be. By going with six teams, we've guaranteed star players on all six teams. That's a drawing card. Uh, I'm curious about the relationship uh, or partnership even between the players and, and the league, how it started out. And and I know there's a, a long-term CBA already intact, but how is that relationship and how important is it to, to making sure that growth can be on the horizon for the league? I, it's been a very collaborative effort again. Again, guys. You guys know me. I don't want to take any credit for it. I came <laughs> in at the end of this. The, the women, and, and so I hear people call them girls and ladies, and I call them women. I call them players. So mm-hmm. the players that negotiated this met, a group of players met with ownership from their membership. Their, uh, Billie Jean King is also an owner, and I think she's the most iconic leader in sports among women in my lifetime, maybe ever. And she was involved in the, the whole process was how do we draft a league that can survive and do it in a collaborative way. So we've got maternity leave that other teams don't have. We've got compassionate exemptions. So if a player from Boston has to stay in Boston and play there for some reason, there's a way to do that with a draft pick involved, the way to ensure that families aren't disrupted. It's very, it's a very unique, very progressive, very female oriented, woman oriented, mother oriented, CBA. So that's number one. Number two, it is a long-term CBA, and there's a lot of rights in there for the teams. That's very pro-league pro, uh, in terms of the system, but I think that just gives us a better chance to succeed myself. Well, and one of the things that is super fascinating about what you guys are doing as a league right now is looking at the playoff format and also the teams that are out of the playoff picture in terms of draft lottery odds. And you guys are trying things that we talk a lot about on the outside. How important is it to recognize that opportunity to try some different things that really not only generate interest, but can also really pave the way for some change in bigger and different leagues, namely perhaps even the NHL? Well, you guys know I've been a big proponent of trying stuff in the American Hockey League. I mm-hmm. believe you have a laboratory. I think you have an ability, a test tube, if you will, ability to try stuff out that might work, might not. Like you said, it might work, it might not. But that's not – failure and innovation is not a bad thing. And I like the innovation side of this. I'm not sure I agree with all of the rules. Um, but, for example, three points for a regulation win. Jailbreak rule if you score a shorthanded goal playoff format, uh, avoid tanking uh, after teams are eliminated. These are progressive and, and different things. I'm excited to see how they work. They're not all going to work, but that's okay. I'm curious which rules uh, might be 
interesting to you, to say the least. <laughs> because so many of them are, are uh, fascinating. Uh, but I guess, you know, the power play ones are the ones mo- that affect most, like, games on a nightly basis, right? Well, the jailbreak route, I was at the game last night. The team scores a shorthanded goal. The power play is wiped out. So say it's 2-1, to one, you make it 2-2, two to two, and the team you just scored on had a power play going, and it's gone now, whether it's a minute and a half left or 30 seconds left. It's innovated. The crowd went nuts because it was in Ottawa when it happened. The crowd went nuts. It was great. I'm not sure wiping out power plays is a conducive long-term strategy for getting better results in games. So I'm not sure I liked it at all. I love the innovation of it, mm-hmm. and our crowd loved it. So, there, again, let's see what works and see what doesn't work. Well, in, in these things, there's always intended and unintended uh, consequences that come of it. And one of the things I find interesting about the jailbreak rule is it, it could it fundamentally change how teams PK and play five on five even. It could. And that's, uh, that's the, the hope, I guess, if you're in favor of this rule, you say we could change our, our, our PK format dramatically and go away from slug scaling penalties like mm-hmm. we always did it and go to star players scoring penalties. Now, that evolution has kind of taken place anyhow. More star players kill penalties now than ever before. And that's a direct result of that. But this rule change could enhance that, and it seems to be putting four offensive players out to kill penalties. God help us. <laughs> uh, the uh, the first place team will have a 24 hour window to select its its semifinal opponent. This is uh, another one of those rules that we've talked about for for a long time. Uh, I, I think it'll create a little bit of extra. I don't know, maybe an easy way to put stuff on the whiteboard. You know, for for the opposing team that does get selected. Yeah, this is one no one asked me about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one when it comes to uh, when, it, when it comes to playoff time. Um, Brian, uh, it's been great catching up on on the PWHL. Uh, I, I would be remiss if we didn't ask you about the the big news in in Vancouver a little bit. Elias Pettersson and, and the Canucks coming together finally for for a negotiation. I mean, you've been on all sides of it. You're executive director of the PA now in the PWHL. Uh, when it comes to big time negotiations, uh, how, how difficult can it get? Well, it can get very difficult. It depends a lot on, the, to me, I'm a big believer in there's a right way and a wrong way to get a deal done on a star player. And I think Jimmy Rutherford knows, and Patrick Alvey know how to do that as well as anybody. But you got to do it carefully. you got to do it professionally. you got to make sure you avoid hard feelings. And you're talking some big numbers, and you say no a lot. And when you have to learn when the player hears no, that doesn't mean no, I hate you, no, you're not a good player. It's a no. That doesn't fit into our budget. And I'm a big believer in setting budgets before negotiations begin. And Patrick Alvin will know he's heard me give this speech. I'm a big believer in setting the price on everything before it starts. Mm-hmm. So you go into the trade deadline, we're not going to do a deal unless we get X and Y. If we don't get that, we're going to keep the player. If we're not going to pay a player more than this, if we can't get him signed for that, we're going to trade him. I'm a big believer that unless you do that, you make poor decisions and you overpay. It sounds like that's exactly what they're doing here, and they're getting closer. So they don't need any advice from me in Vancouver. Jimmy's uh, a great guy and a very, very experienced guy. Well, in terms of getting a deal across a finish line, and sometimes we hear, you know, parties are close. How hard can it be to hammer out those final details, you know, contract structure, you know, trade protection, all, getting all those details aligned at the very end? Can that take some time sometimes? 
It can take some time, and that's where people usually get dug in. Mm-hmm. You've agreed on money. You, as the GM, you think you've come pretty bloody far. You think you've given lots of money and lots of term if you're getting close. And the agent says, we want a full no move. We want 90% signing bonus, and that's where it can get not only get hairy and time-consuming, but get difficult. That's where feelings get hard sometimes. You feel you've given the limit. You feel you've given this guy everything he's reasonably asked for, and then he turns around and says, I want a no move. So that's usually my theory is give me a full list of everything you want before we start. Because once we talk about contracts and no trades are not on the table, then you can't put them on later. I'd, uh, I'd probably lose a negotiation with you, Brian. I'm, uh, I'm pretty, uh, pretty sure on that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope, I hope so. <laughs> uh, we're, uh, we're really glad to have this chat with you here, Brian. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be uh, talking PWHL in Vancouver in the not so distant future. Thanks, guys. We love talking PW. Thanks for doing that. And Knucks uh, are having a great year. It's fun to watch. There is uh, Brian Burke, uh, PWHLPA executive director. The league is uh, off to a pretty incredible start, I, I would have to say, the way that uh, they've kicked things off and some of the attendance numbers we've seen. Of course, hard to truly get invested in what we've seen until there is a local team here in Vancouver, but... Now, assuming success continues to happen for the league, I don't think a expansion to Vancouver would be too far down the line in this case. No, and I do think they're going about it the right way. You have to make sure your league is fundamentally strong yeah. and is growing before you start expanding because now you add even more variables and, and more things at risk. So I think to Berkey's point, they have to make sure that that league really stabilizes stabilizes over the next few years and that that is real for real and then you can start looking at expanding but yes vancouver will have a team at some point uh you need to have a nice foundation and then uh go go from there um what do you think of the playoff rules they put together i like it i I like it because it's different yeah um so the top four teams uh go to the playoffs uh, four of the six and then the first place team will have a 24-hour window to select its semi-final opponent Mm -hmm. The other part is the gold plan, which they're calling, which will assign the first pick to the non-playoff team that accrues the most points following its elimination from playoff contention. It's something we've talked about for a while with regards to the NHL and how do you fix tanking. Um, Now the PWHL is putting it into action, and in a way it's become sort of a breaking ground for a lot of rules we've talked about and wondered how they would look, how they would be implemented for potential adjustments at the NHL level too. Yeah, and I think we'll see some of some of the rules, not just that the PWHL is trying, I think other leagues are trying some things yeah. and over the next few years, we'll see some of these things implemented. I don't know if the NHL is going to have the stomach to actually allow one opponent to pick another opponent. Yes. I think it's too much against the code for them to even go yes. down that road, right? But a jailbreak rule, I think... Is, is an interesting one. Can we see that? And as we talked to Berkey about, he, he's not sure if he loves it or not, but it would, over time, fundamentally change how teams penalty kill, how teams approach their power play, and even five-on-five play in terms of penalties and, and how they go about things. Like That could have some pretty massive repercussions if you bring that rule in. And, and I'm, not, I'm not against it, yeah. but you have to understand that it would fundamentally change quite a few things. Uh, the way the Canucks have given up shorthanded uh, goals lately, uh, probably not a good thing for them. But... 
Uh, we'll see how things continue to develop for the PWHL. Also, some interesting thoughts on negotiating from Brian Burke, who's one of the hardest negotiators we've known uh, here in this market. All the great stories of Berkey uh, saying, I'll drive you to the airport myself. <laughs> uh, but we'll continue to talk Canucks. We'll get into the pre-pregame show. You'll hear from Rick Tockett and more on the matchup with the LA Kings. It's the first meeting with the LA Kings this season for Vancouver. That's coming up next on Canuck Central.